Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week's episode is a deep and spiritual one with Olympian Joe Malloy. Joe is now the head of development at USA Triathlon, and we talk about what that means, what it took for him to develop into an elite athlete and Olympian, and how he's trying to share those life lessons with others now. And how it's okay to not make that choice, too. What does Tri Talent and Junior Development look like in the U.S.? But first, Sid and I dissect the first big weekend of racing, the Couples Championship, Dubai 70.3, and what comes next this year. All of that after this break. How are your next adventure with Outside Plus? Our Outside Plus membership gives you access not just to exclusive triathlete content, but also content across all our network brands, like Outside Magazine, Backpacker, Velo News, and Trail Runner. With an Outside Plus membership, you get two magazine subscriptions, a $50 gear credit to the outside shop, which includes our library of training books, resources like our custom 70.3 training course and clean eating meal plans, dozens of training plans through today's plan software, a free event with outside event cycling series, and a discount on any races on Tri-Reg or Athlete Reg. And you get access to Gaia GPS and Trail Forks to help you find great routes and an annual Finisher Picks photo package to memorialize your race afterwards. Plus, now all of our members get access to our first ever team triathlete a community of triathletes that includes Q&As with experts, training plans, in-person meetups, and team swag and giveaways. We'll be with you on your triathlon journey from start to finish. Join at triathlete.com backslash outside plus. That's outside P-L-U-S, one word. Become an outside plus member today. All right, Sid, it's time for race season, Sid Talks. We had actual races this weekend. Key question here, did you get up at 3.30 a.m. to watch the couples championship? I have to admit, even though I'm like a massive sports fan and geek, I want to support, like, I want to support the races and everything that people are doing, whether you agree or not with it. I didn't get up to watch, I'm afraid, and I didn't pay the $8. Um I appreciate what they were trying to do with the subscription and I've listened to a couple of podcasts with Ben talking about it. Um, I think the eight was a little bit too much to persuade me at 3 a.m. in the morning to get to get up. But um, I think maybe, yeah, a couple of dollars I probably might have been might have been keen and still had the same effect. But no, I, I didn't, unfortunately. I, I was like the only races I get up at 3.30 because that's what time it was here. For me, uh, are my races like yeah? <laughs> really. But I did watch a little bit of it later, um, and everything. And yeah, I want to say like I feel like I feel like first off, the couples championship has gotten shit on a lot by a lot of people, and maybe like disproportionately so. Right? It was just yeah. supposed to be like a fun, silly, whatever little thing, and then it kind of got blown out of proportion. I, I feel like one, it got way bigger than I think they originally intended. I think it was supposed to just be like a few people, whatever. And yeah. then two, I think it I got... Think then all, I think then all these triathlon couples came out right. of woodwork and say, hang on a minute, we want in on this. We want in. <laughs> and then because it got like bigger than they intended and they kind of had to like deal with that, I think then it got all this blowback and pushback yeah. that I don't know that, you know, when they were like, hey, let's have like four couples race and just for fun, I don't think they were prepared. So I will, uh, so I will start this by saying, I think people got a little overly worked up. Like it's somebody's yeah. money. They can do whatever they want with it. They can put on a race it's if to- they're right. Uh, like, totally. And... 
Look, I there's lots of views going around and I was thinking about it before we chatted and I'm like, ultimately, whether we agree with the way it was run or whatever happened, like this is a guy who's incredibly generous, wants to try and help athletes in the sport. Now, whether you agree, whether it's couples on the poverty line or, or, or couples <laughs> that are any worse off than anyone else, I mean, take that out of it. He's trying to increase the appeal of the sport and investing in his money and yeah it's never you know it's similar with the pto it's not going to be right first time if they carry on i think if we want the sport to grow we kind of have to support this sort of thing and i don't know if that's true i actually think that like i don't know i think sometimes people or or not be so not not rip it apart so much I think sometimes that that's like a little problematic, right? Because if we want to be a real sport, that you have to take criticism. I think sometimes when people say like, oh, we have to support this or we have to support that because it's good for the sport. I mean, that's football doesn't sit around and say, oh, we have to support every effort that tries. That's not like that's. And I also but think the notion. They're a lot more established than we are. Right. But like, that's not, that's not yeah. my job is not to support yeah. everything that comes out of the woodwork. My job is to like get the news out there and tell people about it and like, ask the obvious questions like how does one establish that one is a couple <laughs> like that is an obvious question <laughs> so I also think I also think the notion sometimes we have that people because they are putting money in the sport they we owe them gratitude I think that's also misguided right like the guy yes the guy Ben he can do whatever he wants with the money right like he could be like I'm just gonna pay Rin Rinnie and Tim to be my training partners like he could do yeah. that like it's his right like he can do whatever he wants and I think a couples championship is a perfectly funny like fun idea Obviously, I think there were also like weird things to like, I think it also <laughs> is easy to make fun of, right? Because <laughs> like, yeah. how do you prove you're a couple? Who's a couple? Yeah. Like, I think it, it could have been much more funny. I mean, it actually, I think it highlighted to me how many triathlon couples right. we have in the sport. I was so like, many. I, didn't know I didn't know they were together. <laughs> and, then, and let's say, let's start the scandal. There were a few couples that weren't in that race. I know. Um, they didn't they didn't sign up or agree with the appearance fee um to height well, or one high profiled athlete and her partner and um and maybe the others because they haven't admitted they're together. Right. I've <laughs> noticed that too, and that's been making it's like gossip. And I love try gossip, right? So I think that part uh, yeah. is totally funny. I do think I was I was talking to a friend over the weekend and we think it would have been much better if you'd have had a couples championship, but like the one athlete is the the professional and their partner is right. their partner in real life who may have a sporting background or may not have a sporting background. And we thought that could have been quite amusing, a lot more entertaining and engaging to see, you know, put a bit of a story around the triathlete and their background and their, their partners. And then I have also think you could do a like couples relay where like, I mean, you don't have to care whether or not they're having sex, right? It could just be like, find a partner. <laughs> And then it would all be about like who can come, who can get the best partners. Well, I mean, Starkey, Andrew Starkovich um, posted on uh, social media, like I think it was pre-Christmas, that we should do it on um, PTO rankings. Right. And so, and so I matched up with Starkey, and I'm like, hell yeah, Let's I'll go, go with Starkey. Just be a laugh. Like we would have so much fun. We whether we'd win or not uh, with our ranking and against the athletes that are paired higher than us, but it would be good fun. So I think. Yeah, I think a lot. Of, like, I think all the people who went thought it was fun. I think it was like yeah. tons of money. Certainly fun. Obviously, the other thing though is once you charge people to watch your event, they're allowed to, to have opinions about yeah. whether or not it's a good. Like, if you had just given that away for free, I think we'd all have been like, all right, whatever. But when you charge people, Agreed. 
Yeah, and especially if you're charging more than most subscriptions for our sport is at the moment. Okay, let's take the WTS live season pass out of it. But still, for a one-off race, if you're charging, I think you should be then providing a certain standard of coverage. And it's yeah. just, and I think everyone has acknowledged, like, yeah, the drone footage, the footage was not great. There was times yeah. where it was like, there are runners behind those trees. You just can't <laughs> see them. And I think Heather <laughs> and Greg, who were doing the commentary, like, did what they could. And that's perfect. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a perfectly fine event, perfectly fun. But obviously, all these yeah. different iterations have to learn and grow as yeah. they. And that's what we owe the sport, Sid. We no, owe it to like tell them how to learn and grow. <laughs> I am, I am, I'm super happy though. If ever anyone hasn't watched it, we're going to do a spoiler. Um, I was super happy to see Non and Aaron win. Like they took away a hundred grand. It was quite a massive drop off though. Like first, second, third, hundred twenty ten, which I oh, thought was yeah, yeah, quite significant for um, when you've got if you're putting that much money in. But you know. Super cool to see Aaron and Non win. Like they're that's their wedding. You know they're getting married later in the year, so it was kind of like cool. And you know, Aaron's been out in Girona training and moving towards more like the half distance and things like that. Non's obviously still um, sort of doing short course and very much I think focused with Commonwealth Games coming up. Um, but she obviously flew out, and um, yeah, they're just such a. I think yeah, they're almost like a couple. Um, fan favorite sort of thing fan mind favorite. you most of the most of the couples were pretty are gonna be <laughs> yeah and i think once um ashley gentle and josh amber obviously had to pull out because josh had some visa issue that we're all still a little unclear on and i think once they weren't there it was sort of like yeah it's probably gonna be non and Aaron, yeah probably yeah. yeah short course fast speed that kind of thing yeah i mean i guess you never know with it being so short how the the longer course athletes, you know, they may be able to hang in for a bit with the speed from the, the short course athletes, but probably ultimately, yeah, Non and Aaron all went in as It was originally supposed to also be kind of like back and forth legs. And then it yeah, was, but the I one thought. strategy thing they left was that um, you got to decide who went first. Yeah. And you had to put your pick in before you do it, like at a certain time before other people, like before you do it. Other so, yeah. And I think almost everybody decided, almost everyone, except for like two or three teams, decided to put their guy first. But it's just, yeah. it's really funny. You see that with the mixed relays, not in triathlon, but in other sports. They also like leave it open sometimes. I think that's super interesting. Isn't that interesting though? Because, um, and now I'm now trying to think back. In the re- in the mixed relay in the Olympics, it was the, it was female, woman, male, woman, female, man. male. But they're switching I know they're flipping yeah. that going yeah. forward. But isn't it interesting when the athletes were left to decide? They well, here's put, what I figured. Again, it's I, only it was only they're only only each going once rather than they're only going. each going once. And I figured out why they all, all most of them ultimately because I think they all were like, okay, if other people go with their guy, we want our guy to be able to stay with them in a swim pack. Whereas other people go with their woman, then our guy will probably like you know what I mean. Like they tried to make a, yeah. a safe bet there. So yeah. anyway, that was my yeah. logic. <laughs> The other, it's also felt sort of like a prelude to the start of the season for a lot of these athletes because a lot of them are headed to Miami next weekend, which I feel like is really sort of this, not the yeah. start, but like that's when we start to get into real racing, first big, big race. And then they're going to Oceanside in three weeks. 
So this yeah. is kind of like they were all warming up because um, I know I know like a bunch of them are headed to those two races. And so the other race, though, for the non-North American athletes this past weekend was Dubai. Dubai 70.3 yeah. for all the Europeans. And it was a, I was the word, interesting results. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, okay. So Laura Phillip upset Daniela, which one could say was an upset. One could also just say, like, Laura Phillip's in way better shape right now. Like, that's yeah. all there is to that. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think we need to read anything into that about the shape that Daniela is in. You can always guarantee that she's probably going to bring it on on the day when she needs to. Um, you know, Daniela, for the last year, she's been a little bit, she hasn't been as outstandingly dominant that we've right. seen in previous years. But hey, we've had a pandemic. There's been racing. Right. She's been doing lots of other things. Um, and you can probably guarantee, you know, she's she's pretty good at nailing it on the day when she needs to, unless she things is. go too wrong. I was going to say, I think the thing that's been more interesting, like Daniela, when she's dominant in the past year and a half, is still insanely dominant. What we've seen more from her is more off dates. That used to yes. never happen. She would yes. like never have an off day. Yeah. Um, but I think I think what we're seeing is like, for me, Laura Phil- Phillips is an absolutely phenom- phenomenal athlete and yeah. has ridiculous amount of talent and potential she is just on this fine line of she's either absolutely amazing and does these outstanding performances which just show you what she's capable of and you're like she's she's only going to get better from there and you can see that capability or bless her she's injured which is you know it's heartbreaking to see because you don't want when an athlete's that good you don't want to see her like that so I hope and I think it's like warning shots that she's clearly in good shape um, she's clearly fired up for the year. I think this race, that race result will have given her a huge amount of confidence going into if she has any other races before um, set, uh, World Championships in St. George. Um, and it shows that she's, yeah, definitely still one of the best, if not the best at the moment, obviously over the 70.3 and mm-hmm. I think the distance. And I, I don't think we've seen the best of Laura Phillip yet. The interesting thing when you think about the pandemic and like the last two years of pros mostly missing out, right? Yeah, you can say like Jan missed out or Daniela missed out on like money there. But if you really want to talk about like who probably got a little screwed, uh, I would say Anne Hogg got a little screwed here because she could be a multiple time world champion and instead she's not. And Laura Phillip probably got a little because she was like primed to step in to the spotlight. And uh, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Agree. Yeah. The men's race is also interesting because somebody who has been super, because uh, Christian Blumenfeld, um, I mean, he had a flat on the bike, but even he acknowledged that he was already out of it by the time he had a flat. Like yeah. he wasn't, he had already gotten beat. Um, and Martin Van Riel put down the fastest 70.3 time ever. Like yeah. 323 yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think he would have been hard to beat no matter what. He ran like 107. Yeah. Which is yeah. crazy. Yep. It's interesting. Van Riel is somebody that I don't think a lot of Americans know a ton about. He's Belgian, um, kind of like flew under the radar because he got fourth at the Olympics. So. <laughs> I think he's flying under the radars because there's been so much about the Norwegians coming right. through and the Norwegians doing like, you know, the 70.3 and the full distance that I think we've or maybe uh, some people, not me, because I've seen him training in Girona for the past few months, but kind of have probably yeah, not appreciated that the Belgians are pretty strong as, as well with Martin and Yella as well. 
And um, and Martin Van Real has also done two seventy point three nows and won both of them. And I think it's pretty yeah. clear that is his plan moving forward. So. I, I think so. I think you got that impression from his Instagram posts as well. You know, that classic Sunday, Monday night, Sunday night, Monday night ra- race. race. I Instagram love Monday posts. morning Instagram. It <laughs> yeah, cracks it me up. It's back. It back <laughs> after two years. Races. Um, Did they learn a lot of lessons? Are they really grateful? <laughs> yeah. But I think, he, I mean, I kind of read his posts as saying that he's super excited. This is just the first step and they've got so much more so much more to come um yeah yeah he'll be an interesting one to watch we have we do these pieces um on the site we call them how they did it and we kind of like dissect like a breakthrough performance and like what led into it and so we have one in the works for both laura and uh martin because i think those those stood out to everyone who's paying attention the other thing that stood out yeah. laura like everybody goes to dubai to like, kick off their year because it's fast and because it used to have a ton of money do you realize the, pro- the total prize first was only fifteen thousand dollars I did see something what? like that. Um, and I thought that I mean, could be look- right. So I went and checked and that was right. I was like, what? I, I can't work out how it, because did it get changed at the last minute? I think I saw and which I thought was weird, but, and I, I don't know if other athletes did it as well, but I know also that Daniela and Laura Phillips said they were donating. Any yeah. Prize yeah. Well, I mean, they only yeah. won like $4,000. So I but think they, they were like, yes. <laughs> I mean, not to, more not to belittle, obviously, they donated their money to um, Ukrainian, different yeah, Ukrainian foundations. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. still was like, that. how did that race go from like a $100,000 race to a $15,000 yeah. race? It makes no sense. Yeah. It's weird. Wasn't it, wasn't it used to be part of the Triple Crown? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the prince has pulled out. Maybe that's the whole. Maybe that's it. Surprise so. money going down in sport. <laughs> but we have some more races. We will... Be, we're fully in race season i made like a calendar over the weekend for our coverage plans and it was like man there are a lot of races this year because not only are we back but now we're back and there's new things there's pto tour there's super league there's lots of clash races in addition to challenge so it's like this year is packed <laughs> i got i got an email this morning inviting me to uh enter the uh the super league arena games in munich and i was sure. like um I'm not sure whether I'm getting this just as a subscriber to a newsletter or if as an athlete, because it's still said to register, you've got to go through your like your governing body. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not sure why I'm getting this. <laughs> you have to go through because uh, it's like official world triathlon race. Yeah. You have to go through your governing body and like yeah. represent your country. So Sid, I feel I'm not to, I don't think you're going to get a British tri federation <laughs> spot there. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh God. Not actually as well. Like not, um, because the weather's gone a little bit south here in Boulder, which is not really surprising for this time of year. No. Um, and I had to, I think there'll be a lot of time on on the trainer and on Zwift this week, but I'm not sure my uh, my Zwift racing of the, in, in terms of the arena games is uh, yeah, up to standards at the moment. <laughs> I don't think you can hack it with uh, Beth Potter there. So. No, no. <laughs> but there is lots of racing and we um, will be following all of it. It's I actually think it's going to be a pretty, I mean, knock on something pretty good year so yeah it's gonna be good knock on something cross your fingers cross everything (laughs) everything (laughs) all right Sid we'll be back thanks for chatting thanks
All right, this week we have Joe Malloy, 2016 Olympian, now the head of development at USAT. And I saw, Joe, on your resume, you're also the first U.S. team to win the Mixed Relay World Championships. Yeah, well, I was I was one fourth, <laughs> fourth. of that team. <laughs> and, um, and based on the lead that my teammates handed me, you could probably argue that fraction down a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I just I just took it home. But um, but yeah, so, definitely one of my career highlights. I was about to ask. So out of all of the different triathlon things you've done, what is like your favorite experience or memory? You know, that's that's a great question, Kelly. And probably, you know, a lot of the listeners out there, you know, one of the great things about the sport is I didn't need to go to the Olympics to create my best sporting memory. Okay. When I look back, of course, like some of the some of the race wins and that mixed team relay you mentioned, they're they're definitely highlights that stand out as achievements I'm very proud of. But um, but I also think back to you know sharing Coronas after finishing a Continental Cup in Mexico, and staying in a hotel room that cost me thirty dollars a night um, as you know as huge you know memories that I'm so proud of. I have like some, some lifelong friendships that I've taken from my time in the sport, um, when I was competing full time. So, Mm -hmm. so it's hard to say like, oh, this one race result because they all, you know, it's, it's, it was definitely more of a a journey than kind of a stepping stone of accomplishment to accomplishment thing for me. And I I feel like what I've learned from you, you guys who traveled all over the world racing, the IT, what used to be ITU circuit is you all have like crazy stories is the other thing. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. We do. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you actually, uh, I wanted to ask you though, before we kind of talk about, you know, USAT and elite development, how you got into this sport. And I, uh, I know you did it. You were a runner, you were a swimmer. You even did a triathlon as a kid, right? But then you went, went the, the swimming route. Yeah, you, uh, you've done your homework. So I did, I did one triathlon when I was in sixth grade. And, um, and the only reason I remember it was because I had a date with my girlfriend at the time at the water park <laughs> afterwards. Okay. And, um, and I crashed my bike so hard. I scraped my whole body up. I had no idea how to ride a bike. I was a great swimmer, great runner, but terrible um, on two wheels. And um, so crashed myself up pretty good. Still finished the race. Um, they did a whole to-do over like this kid who kind of walked the run, but because he was so bandaged up. But, um, but I, I remember just like, no matter what, I was going to the water park afterwards and I, it, it stung so bad. But, um, but yeah, I followed through on the date. And that's, um, that's important. So. And so even at that age, like there was, there was a determination and a strength of will that was there. Um, and I think that came out when I was reintroduced to the sport with maybe a little bit more maturity to appreciate um, the preparation that Mm-hmm. went into it. Um, I was a student athlete in college. I, I swam for Boston College. Um, and yeah, I, like I did running and swimming in high school, but eventually picked a sport in college. And Why'd you pick? I, I mean, I think you were good enough to do either in college. Why'd you pick swimming? I was. And <laughs> I remember thinking, do I want to be in season from August to June? Or do I just want to be in season from September to March? <laughs> okay. And so, so the season, like the the cross country, winter track, spring track, f- 
for four years just didn't sound great to me. Hmm. Um, and, and I even remember thinking, well, I'm not going to be a professional athlete after college, so I might as well just do swimming. Um, and honestly, that was, that was my rationale. Okay. Because I mean, I, that's funny. Cause I feel like most college swimmers, like when I, someone tells me they swim in college, I'm like, oh, you, they're all burned out. Right. Like that's what you know about college swimmers is it's just a mm-hmm. grind, but you actually picked it cause you thought it sounded like less. Time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. Um, I, and like I said, I, if I, if I had gone back and I, I might make a different decision, I might've decided to run, but it was, I think for all of us, our decisions at any given moment, it's, you know, a combination of like who we are at that time right? and who I was at that time and kind of the way I, I vibed with the swim teammates and the swim team coach. Like I, I kind of felt like kindred spirits with the coach, um, really appreciated his perspective on the program and um, just kind of made that decision and didn't look back. And so you swam all through college. Did you still like run? Did you uh, know how to ride a bike or was it only swimming, swimming focused all the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would, fortunately, uh, our coach was pretty big on cross training mm-hmm. and he allowed, he allowed us to do kind of whatever we wanted out of the pool just to stay, to stay fit. We didn't have required like strength sessions or anything mm-hmm. like that, um, which was pretty rare for a division one program. But, um, but for my off season, I, I would, I would go running. I lived in at the top of Heartbreak Hill, oh, so okay. mile 22 of the Boston Marathon. And, um, th- there were always people running and, um, we were kind of like at the hub of Boston's running kind of community and all the routes. So I, I just really enjoyed that. And it's almost like you were like, made for the college recruitment program for USAT, like somebody who could run and swim in college. I mean, they, they had to have found you, right? Like that's what the whole college recruitment program was designed for. It was, but I was rejected. <laughs> you were rejected. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I, cause I, I, I had, uh, I won age group nationals in 2009 and, um, and, and reached out for support because the uh, CRP was sort of like figuring out what it was. And, um, and, and I was just told my, my times didn't meet the standards, mm. uh, which you, is, is fine. Like, a, um, you're, you're not like, you're not still fine. holding on it's, to this. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> but, um, but I, I, I hope that it says something to everybody out there that, you know, for all the experts and all the people, who sort of think they know what you can do, like, don't, don't listen to them because it's more important what you tell yourself. So you uh, found triathlon on your own then. I guess I kind of assumed a USAT person had reached out to you, but you just found it on your own post-college. I did. So the, oh. I actually got into it. I uh, graduated in May of 2008 with my undergrad degree and um, wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. Sure. As, as, you know, as most 22 year olds, probably. And I, one thing that was immediately clear to me was I got home and I needed an athletic goal or something to train for because I was going crazy. And a friend of my dad's said, Hey, Joe, you'd be really good at triathlon. Like, here's a bike. There's a race next weekend. You should do it. Um, So I did it June 1st, 2008. I did a triathlon. We drove up, did the early morning. 
and I loved it. Okay. And it went better. You didn't crash your bike. You like knew how to ride a bike. I still got my butt kicked on the bike, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it did, it did go a little bit better. Um, I swam and ran pretty well. And, um, and like, probably like most first timers, I looked at the splits and I just saw so much opportunity for mm-hmm. improvement that, that I was kind of sucked in that it, like it, it becomes you know, for, for anybody who's in this, like it becomes addicting. You see these splits and you dissect them and, um, it's, you know, I think improvement anywhere is just, it's a step-by-step process and seeing those splits kind of like broken down, it made it very clear, like where I can improve and how much I can improve. And and that made me very excited to sign up for another one. So you're 22 years, kind of doing the 20 and you start training for triathlon, you get more and more into it because you know, you can get better. At what point does it go from a hobby to, oh, wait, I could actually be a pro? athlete at this yeah so it it, it, to be honest it was never even about like being a pro at this for Mm -hmm. me um i was i ended up taking a job working as the assistant swim coach at boston college um for for the person who had coached me so we worked together and um and i i would like to refer to it as my jungle became my zoo because (laughs) all of a sudden i was on the other side and i was kind of enforcing and um kind of taking a more responsible role. And um, so I all of a sudden had a ton of free time and I was an outsider looking at this world that I was very familiar with. And, and it gave me a really unique perspective on sport and performance because, you know, I had this contrast that I knew what it was like in the program as a swimmer, but then I, looking at it as a coach, I, I had this new lens mm-hmm. that, that helped me improve as an athlete, sort of like as a byproduct. Um, because all of a sudden, as an athlete, I think, to a certain extent, we're all limited by what we think about ourselves. And, and it's, you know, it's stuff we've told ourselves since we were six years old, or people have told us since we were in middle school, about like who we are as an athlete, or what makes us tick, or what motivates us. And so having that as my job to see that in other athletes and see possibility and, you know, what, you know, where they can be better, it sort of helped me take that lens and apply it to myself. And triathlon became my proving ground for Hmm. for all these lies I had told myself about why I was losing races in college. What what would be an example now? Like, what's an example? Yeah. So I, I would line up and I'd, I'd say, oh, you know, that kid doesn't have a life. He's doing two practices a day. He's, you know, um, he's bigger than me. He's got longer arms. He's, um, you know, you, you, we write all these stories about why, why we lose. And it's, it's really just protecting ourselves um, because in, it, it's especially in an endurance sport, um, you know, of course, there's God-given, you know, talent. Sure. Um, but but th- there's a very clear line between input and output in endurance sport. You put in the time, especially on the bike, you put in the time, you're going to improve. And if you do it intelligently, you can improve like tremendously. And um, and I think, you know, it, 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 part of it is the sport. Like none of the paces that we do, even at the elite level, are that crazy. You know, I think the average person could probably go out and run 
440 per mile pace, if only for 10 seconds. Right. Okay. And so, so the actual act of doing it is not that difficult. It's not like dunking a basketball. Like most people can't dunk a basketball, but most people can do the paces required to win the biggest endurance events in the world, if only for short amounts of time. So the problem then becomes, well, how do I do that longer? And often that's just a product of putting in time and effort. Um, and, and, you know, the ceiling for everybody is, is different, but, um, but in probably all cases, it's higher than we think it is. So you're like, I'm going to prove that these li- stories I was telling myself aren't true through triathlon and work hard at it. And did it work? Like, did, were you like, oh, yeah, like, I can do more. I can be better than I thought I could. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't even use the word proof. I would, I would okay. just say, like, explore the curiosity. Okay. And... Um, and just kind of like I, I I knew pretty early on I was always at my best when I was kind of at play with things, okay. And um, like I, I I felt like that brought my best energy out. So connecting to the sense of play and you know figuring out how I can do this a little bit better, a little bit faster, and using the competition to draw that out of myself, like I, I, that became addicting for me. Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, as we've learned, biking was kind of the the thing you had to practice. How long did it take you to get good at at the bike? Like, I'll, and what did you? I'll let yeah, you know when I think I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what was the challenging part there? Yeah, I think uh, so. In draft legal biking, mm-hmm. there's there's the physical component and there's the emotional component. And physically, I, I think the bike is very easy to learn because the techniques build into the machine. To a certain extent, you you know, you can only move your feet around the pedals, um, especially if you're clipped in, you know. So so you the only real technique is figuring out how to apply power to the pedal. So you're not slamming down on the power pedals when it's not making the chain move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of overgear work to to kind of teach the efficiency there. But um, but beyond that, I I think if I if I had a do over, I I would have done a lot more work on the emotional side of draft legal racing because yeah. I think, um, you know, as a relative newcomer to draft legal racing, when a lot of my competition had been, you know, had a, had a decade of experience before I did my first one, um, I it took me a while to get over the fear of the the bike, um, and the kind of bringing my mind to only controlling what I can control. You know, you get into the middle of these packs and it's, you know, it's easy to think like, oh my gosh, that, that kid's wheel just slipped. Like what if, or, you know, I better, what could go wrong here? What could happen here? And you think things through maybe a little too much. And, um, and I think a lot of experience is just making those thoughts become stuff that happens in the back of your mind as opposed to the front of it. So you sort of notice and react as opposed to think and then try to act, but that becomes too slow of a process. Um, so my emotions definitely got in my way on the bike for, for a long time in draft legal racing. Why stick with draft legal? Then? Like, why did you decide draft legal instead of non-drafted? 
Oh, good question. Well, when I was coming up, there there were more non-draft opportunities. There were we had the uh, Lifetime Fitness Series, mm-hmm. and I I I loved non-draft Olympic distance racing, and I probably wouldn't have walked away from the sport in 2016 um, if there were more non-draft Olympic opportunities. But um, but there was always the the Olympics were were big right. in my mind. Um, I would have loved to, you know, I wanted to win a medal at the Olympics. So, so that was a big motivating force for me. And, um, and I knew I wasn't going to bring my skill set closer to being that type of athlete by dabbling in non-draft racing and then trying to get better in draft legal racing. So did you ever, I mean, obviously this isn't something a lot of our listeners, you know, a lot, most of us don't do draft legal racing, but Mm -hmm. did you ever then like actually like go out with cyclists, go out on group rides, like try to really work on that aspect of it? I did. I, mm-hmm. I did. And you know, I think it's, it's one of those things we, we all have our, our struggles with things. Um, and you know, I, I don't mean to say there's no emotional component to non-draft biking because for a lot of people, it's probably terrifying to get down right. to those narrow bars and, and to not look up. And, um, I remember when, you know, in, non-draft racing, I would always just try and look up out of the tops of my eyelids, <laughs> my head down. And, um, and it's, it's unnerving, but, um, but I think, you know, what really got me, it wasn't the skills on the bike. It was more the uncontrollables mm-hmm. and being okay with that. Right. And, and there's just more uncontrollables in a draft legal race, um, which I struggled with, but I, I also became addicting addicted with like seeing how much I could figure it out. Well, so you must have figured it out some because you made it to the Rio Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of oh. worked out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it, the, you know, the thing I'll say to people is the skill set that you're is required to, to get to the Olympics is the same skill set that makes you think back or look at the experiences, be like, that could be so much better. <laughs> I need to be so much better here, 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 here. You know, you don't you don't get to high heights in anything by congratulating yourself on everything you're doing all the time. What is the joke? And I this is but is like how many Olympians have overbearing parents? All of them. Right. <laughs> like there's not it's not like a laid back group of people. It's not and you know I I would actually contend that it, it for me it didn't come from my parents sure. um my parents pro- they always thought something was wrong with me <laughs> um they probably still do but um but yeah it, it, i think it's just something that you know um i remember hearing an interview with um a guy named michael gervais and he was interview he was uh talking about like how aspects of our personality influence what we do Mm-hmm. And there was a gymnast who had severe obsessive compulsive disorder. And he told the parents, he's like, look, I can work on the OCD with your child, but it's going to hurt her in gymnastics. And he's like, I never saw the girl again. Um, Interesting. So, so it's, it's, you know, we all have these, it's, it's like fire. It can be very destructive. It can be very productive, but we have to know how to contain it or channel it. Interesting. Yeah, it's also, I mean, I think you've also talked a lot or talked in the past about kind of that coming down from the Olympics. Like you said, it, like, these are not people who get to that point because they don't think that they could do better, right? And so, like you said, you kind of walked away from it coming out of that. Um, 
because it was hard, right? Like uh, hard is not the right word because that suggests that you can't do hard things. But you know, it was it was <laughs> no, I <laughs> disappointing, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, so I I guess I'll, I'll ask like, what's the what's your specific question there? Like, I know, why well, or <laughs> right? Like you're like that's not a question. Um, no, I just was thinking about the Olympics, and you kind of decided to leave leave triathlon coming out of it, right? And mm-hmm why and then also you know was it is it it seem, you seem like a very well like perfectly he- healthy person so but i know that you have said you were struggling with that that down after the olympics is that just inevitable is there like a way to deal with that it it is it, it i i would say it's inevitable mm-hmm. um because for peaks there are valleys and right. and that's true of anything and and to to have something that is that is that much of a peak, like there there needs to be a valley. And and I would just say, like in hindsight, um, I had stuff going on in the rest of my life that that was factoring in on on where I was at the time, and that combined with you know, as somebody who's goal oriented, you you sort of learned. You, I think this is another gift of sport for for all the listeners you know, sport forces you to connect daily actions with uh, an intended outcome. And they can be, you know, it can be as simple as getting a six pack and trusting that doing these crunches every day or doing your planks or, you know, eating the salad instead of the fries is is moving you towards that goal. And, and it becomes habit and we get you know, you get that goal and it's not like we stop there. It's like, oh, now I want to do this. Now I want to tone here or something. Um, so, so just thinking in terms of goal achievement, mm-hmm. I had realized this goal that had dominated my thinking for a long time. Um, but it also fell very short. Um, I, I wasn't thrilled with my performance in Rio and, um, and I had expected a lot more from myself. And, um, even if nobody else did, um, I did. Mm-hmm. And, and it was hard when other people like my the people who I thought were my support staff sort of when I said, well, this is what I thought was going to happen or what I expected to happen. And, you know, I, I remember being told, well, was that a realistic expectation? And, you know, and I, I would counter, was it realistic to expect we'd be here six years ago or, you know, seven years ago or something. So, um, so I think I needed to maybe a little just, support um of a different kind and then um as an athlete competing professionally the sport is also your your job and training in a full-time environment my training partners were also my friends Mm -hmm. so it was a very complicated setup where i just kind of didn't know where to go um but i i knew i needed um time away and i i you know i I wasn't in a financial position to, to just get, take a gap year or something. So <laughs> right. I, I needed to go and get a job or do something. And um, that makes sense. And yeah. uh, obviously, I mean, you now, you know, help people through the development, like you work on development. Now. You've come back to the sport for sure. <laughs> what do you, and I know this isn't your job at USAT, but you probably talk to a lot of people kind of in that same position. What do you mm-hmm. tell them now? Well, it's funny you say this isn't your job because there's <laughs> a 
there's a line in my job description that is duties as assigned. <laughs> so, so yeah, I can get caught up in a lot, but, um, but so I think where, where my experience as an athlete helps me in, in what I do now with development is, you know, I, I understand the journey mm-hmm. and, and the process of becoming an elite athlete in the sport. But, um, but I, like, I would also, I also know enough about it that I, I don't sell a dream to anybody because that's not what it is. It's, it's a product of many choices and to become elite in sport, it's, it's you, you have to be very intentional about the choices you make. Um, more athletes, we have a gold medalist in triathlon in every state in the country. And there's not a doubt in my mind about that. Oh, the, oh potential. Okay. Yeah, I was like, a, we have 50 gold medalists. Yeah, we have a potential Olympic gold medalist in triathlon in every state in the, in this country. And the difference is we, the, the, all those athletes, just uh, most of them are not going to make the choices they need to make or have the resources they need to have to, to kind of go along that journey. So, so I, there, there's different components that go into it and it's not just these unicorn athletes who come out of nowhere. Right. Um, and so, so it has to be right for, for the person and the conditions have to be right for that person to grow, um, through the process and you need some luck. <laughs> what is yeah, yeah. It's like, it's talent, hard work, luck and resource, right? There's like a, you need a whole bunch of things to all kind mm-hmm. of work out. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You came back originally to he- like work on the CRP collegiate recruitment program. Now you're kind of heading up development. What drew you back to triathlon um, after your break? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I think it's it's again, um, you know, <laughs> it, it'd be nice if I had a great shiny answer here. But right, right. It just felt like where I could add a lot of value, and mm-hmm. you know, I. I I had a look under the hood at what was what was out there and what other opportunities there were for me, you know, after the Olympics. Um, professionally, I, you know, I had just turned 30, um, which doesn't seem so old. But at the time, I was thinking that's that's a time when people get their lives together. <laughs> so so I was thinking I better get you know a job with a retirement <laughs> plan and all this stuff. And um, and I. I I think what drew me back was just, yeah, feeling like I could add some value um, that the work I had done before could, could help me do something well. Mm -hmm. Um, I miss being very good at something. So, um, so I'm not, I'm not saying I'm very good at this, but, um, but I feel, I feel like I, I can, I can make it a little bit better. You're Um, probably pretty good at it. I think that's, that's probably true. (laughs) But well, I mean, but even that, you know, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. But um, some people who, who don't like what I do might say I'm not good at it. So <laughs> so but that doesn't affect me, honestly, because it's, it's just it, as an athlete, you try to get a little bit better every right. day. And the way you go far is by doing that consistently. And and in this position, I feel like I can I can be that for for athletes and be a resource that I feel like my journey in the sport was incomplete. Um, and, and maybe if I had somebody like me 10 years ago, maybe I could have gone a little bit farther or I could have achieved a little bit more. Um, and, and conversely, you know, like I, 
to have some like some athletes who would, this this path just is not for them, mm-hmm. and and it it helps for them to hear it from somebody who you know, th- you know that they might feel understood. You know, I we have uh, one collegiate recruit who's working um, for an engineering firm right now, and he's the happiest person in the world, and he needed somebody to tell him it was okay to do that, and um, and and the truth is like high performance sport is not for everybody. Um, so, so the only way it works is if it's, it's, it's burning in the athlete. And if the athlete has, you know, access to the resources he or she needs to, to take those next steps. And you were telling me a little bit about the whole, there's three of you kind of heading up development there now. We talked to Tommy before and, and you've added Lindsay and you're all kind of working on this. I mean, obviously outside, we call it a pipeline, but all this, this development of youth athletes into high performance Olympian, uh, the ultimate goal obviously is mm-hmm. medals. How does like, what are the new programs rolling out? How does that work? How, like we can all understand going out and finding a fast person, mm-hmm. but that's not just what you guys are doing. You're also obviously <laughs> trying to build programs and develop them, right? Yeah. So, so you said something that, that I think is a big question in development and, and I'm not, I'm not saying we have the answers here, but you said our focus is to win medals. Mm. And, and what I would press on there is, is, is our focus to win medals or is our focus to develop the best athletes possible and the best, you know, the best young men and women that the United States has in the sport? Um, how do we make them become the best they can be? And, and then are medals just a byproduct of that process? Okay. So, so it's, it's, you know, it's the same outcome versus process-based goal setting we do as athletes, you know. Do you want to win the race or do you want to swim this way and you want to hold this power on the bike and you want to hold this pace on the run and take your nutrition every 45 minutes and then let the result be what it is. Okay. So, so I think our approach to development is it's based on the idea like, yes, ultimately we're judged by the USOPC on the number of medals we win at major games. Mm-hmm. So Olympic, Paralympic games. Um, that's how my work will be judged. But at the same time, I view the way I do my work as not going out to just go chase medals. It's going out to offer opportunity for athletes to build the skills and habits and work ethic that they need. They need to build that when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, so that they can be in a position to be great in the sport in their mid-20s. Okay. Because that's when those results would, would ultimately happen. So, so, you know, like we could run a junior program that says, Hey, our, you know, we want to win junior world championships. Um, like, yeah, who wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> but we don't want to do that at the expense of an athlete saying when they're 22 years old, gosh, these people have been on me like crazy yeah. and I am just done. Or, you know, so, so we want, it, it's, there's there's definitely like that longer term, longer horizon perspective that motivates our work. That's interesting. So if you're so if you're really focused on juniors, thirteen to twenty two, twenty four, what are so I mean? I'll, I'll just yeah. break it down because <laughs> this was new to me too. Okay. So so the terminology is everything's determined by by race age. Um, okay. So an athlete's age on December thirty first of a particular year. Mm-hmm. 
So, so my birthday was December 20th, 1985. So I would have gone the whole year competing as a year older than I actually was until December 20th. And then I'd have 11 days competing as a, as a 16 year old before I was forced to compete as a 17 year old when I was 16 a year. On a side point there, do you think that's why I was looking at some stat, how a majority of the top WTCS come from the first quarter of months, birthdays? Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> there's an, there's an amazing opportunity in development. Right. So, so, and I'll get to how we're addressing something like that in a minute, but, but basically the, the definitions that we can't change that are handed to us from world triathlon are mm-hmm. youth athletes are 13 to 15 race age. Okay. Junior athletes are 16 to 19 years old race age. And then we get into the U23 division and, and then after that, it's just, it becomes elite. Um, and of course you can have, uh, athletes take their elite license, um, but still race junior world championships or something like that. But, but those are kind of like the broad definitions or the buckets for the athletes. Um, and then I think, you know, to your point on most of the Olympic athletes or at least Olympic medalist. What, so what it's like, that? yeah, it's a breakdown of yeah. like the top, like whatever is a study looking at like the top characteristics of elite tri- like triathletes at the WTS level and the majority and there's some huge percentage are in the first two quarters of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, fa- it's, it's one of these like Malcolm Gladwell idea right. that, that is playing out in our sport as, as we see it. And, and it's, it, there, there's two parts to this. One is yes. An athlete who is racing kids, you know, when you're 16, 17 years old, racing an athlete who's two years older or three years older is, is a big difference. Right. And if you're judging yourself against your peers and they are 11 months older, but they're showing up as the same as you, that there's a big difference. And then you add into the fact that we athletes mature differently, bodies grow differently. Um, eventually we all get there, but, but it just happens for some faster than others. You know, like I remember race and swim meets where I was kind of like a a string bean and a speedo and the kid next to me had a mustache and I was (laughs) like, oh man, um, I, you know, you'd be scared. Um, so, so it's, it's, how do we create that opportunity for athletes to, to kind of race against people who are closer to them developmentally? Mm -hmm. The second piece to that is why do why do so many medalists um, come from the beginning of the year? It's suggestive that you know maybe there's more to it than physical maturation that plays into developing somebody who wins these races. It, it, within our department, we say you know there's on any given day at any WTCS race, there's probably. 20, 30 people who could win the race mm-hmm. physically, you know, have the fitness to do it. And, but it's usually the same names who show up on the podium and at the front of these races. Right. And, and that's a product of, of things they've learned that aren't hitting numbers in a bike workout or hitting paces on the track. They understand how to execute and how to use the energy reserves they have over the course of two hours. And, and that is, those are habits that these athletes learn in races when they're 16 and 17 years old. So when they're competing with a physical advantage, they're learning 
ways to race that are going to benefit them when they're, you know, if and when they graduate to these elite fields. So, so what That's are we doing to yeah. prepare our athletes um, across the board with those skill sets of, you know, how to win races, how to win and execute in different scenarios? Um, so a, a small shift uh, we've made this year is we've split our junior field at USAT Draft Legal Nationals into into two divisions. So instead of 16 to 19, which effectively could be 15 years old, year old kids competing against college freshmen or sophomores, right. um, we're, we're doing two divisions. We're splitting it up, creating a little bit more opportunity, and we're doing 16, 17 year olds in their own race, 18, 19 year olds in their own in their own race. Just to give them like another chance kind of to practice these skills. Give them another chance. And, and, you know, it's, it's always, you know, we don't know the athletes who walk mm-hmm. away from the sport because they're dejected because they got their butt kicked when they were 16. So, so we could have lost champions there. So, um, so to give that 16 year old something to say, oh, well, I finished like 50th place, but I qualified for nationals because I was like in my division, I'm, I'm like right in the mix mm-hmm. and, and maybe they go to nationals, they get a top 10. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're lighting a fire in somebody who, who maybe needed help to see that in them. So in terms of all the different kinds of development programs you're doing, is it a lot of little things like that where you're just, because for most of the triathlon, most of us, junior youth development, I mean, I don't think there is a youth triathlon team in my area. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something we're like familiar with. So how, what are these like programs you're running? Is it all camps and clinics is it all like that like how does this work it sounds like a very yeah, hard so, question, but. so i mean it's a it's a fun problem to figure out how to, how to develop a nation of talent right. with a three-person team <laughs> you know so so a big part of why you know i'm doing interviews like this is to get out there and tell people it, it's all of our job to develop usa's triathlon talent and, and, you know, maybe that means reaching out to somebody in your community and saying, hey, you could be a great triathlete. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where to start. Maybe, you know, in that area, I don't know how to start in every area. Um, so we can build, we can build stuff at the national level, but we need regional buy-in and, and we need people who are passionate and excited in their communities to create opportunities for, for kids to show up. And, and, you know, I think, um, so, so that's, that's one mm-hmm. part of it, creating more regional opportunities by helping people understand, like, this is a problem. It's something we want to work on. Um, but at the national level, um, we're organizing our programs o- around kind of three words that I think help people understand what, what our mission is. And it's, it's, it comes from a Michael Phelps quote where okay. he was describing his process on, on winning, you know, so many medals. And he said, it's really as simple as dream, plan, reach. You you dream it, you plan it, and you reach for it. Um, So our role in junior development is to to help people, to help athletes, young men and women, dream, plan, and reach towards their goals. So the dreaming aspect, we got to give them something worth working for and worth dreaming about. So how are we, we have a junior development series and a youth development series, which is five, five races across the country. Um, it's, it's a lot to get to these things, mm-hmm. but we make them special. And we have a Hunter Kemper in Monroe, Washington, handing out awards and announcing kids' names. And we, we do this because we, 
we believe that helping athletes kind of, you know, meet an Olympian or be at a national level event helps them see that, you know, these are just people too. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe they see that in themselves. So how are we getting these young men and women in our program to see the greatness that's in themselves? Um, and then dreaming that, you know, they can do it. Once they have that vision and they see a reality for themselves that, hey, you know, I could be on the podium someday. I could be traveling all these places around the world. Like I see that for myself. Then all of a sudden we inspire them to plan it. The planning is we have a network of over 40 high performance junior teams. Um, We have them listed on our USAT website uh, for people to kind of look at their websites, reach out, meet coaches. Um, You know, some of them coach athletes just in a region. Mm -hmm. Some of them do remote coaching. But, but we need to improve the quality of the, the coaching that these athletes get. So we need to educate these coaches on, you know, how, how to like, first, what does good look like for somebody who's 16 or 17? And, um, and, and how do we plan, you know, we're not pl- to plan for the Olympics as a 16 year old is counterproductive because, because it's not actionable. Right. But what could be actionable is, okay, the best in the world are swimming 142 in the 200. You've got a high school swim season coming up and your best time is 149. Do you think you can get a little closer to 142? And and then connecting that work to what they could do in triathlon. Hmm. So so to, to help athletes plan what they're doing as part of a bigger picture for them in triathlon. And, and then the reaching. I think this is my favorite part of it because a reach is if you think about it you you go for something and you can't get it and and for a lot of people that's frustrating and this <laughs> for is for everyone I, that's frustrating yeah, <laughs> this is where i think triathlon has has such a cool advantage and selling point for for our next generation of kids i have two daughters when i think of what what world i want them to grow up in and what kind of structure i want them to to be educated with I want them to see reach and not think frustration, but think opportunity and think, okay, this is, you know, this could be uncomfortable, but it could help me get something I want. And, and that's something that I think is missing right now in a lot of sports. I think, I think a lot of times we're giving kids things and, you know, we have information in our pocket, whatever we want to know, you know, we don't have to reach too far for that. Um, so we need to use sport as a, as a medium to teach these young men and women how to reach for things and that it takes dreaming and it takes a lot of planning and it takes a whole lot of work and being uncomfortable and showing up to practice when you'd rather be somewhere else and developing that discipline um, and that work ethic that ultimately they're going to need if they want to succeed in triathlon, great, or if they want to succeed in anything else then hopefully we can help build those skills in them through our sport. How are you teaching kids how to reach? Like, uh, you, like you're very convincing, but I can't imagine you're going around and talking to like everyone. So. Uh-huh. No, I, I, I mean, I, so thank you. Thank you. And I, I would say I'm learning as I go. Um, so how am I teaching them to reach? I think the, the first step of it is creating opportunity worth reaching for. Right. And, and we're building, you know, we're, we're bringing back a domestic camp that hasn't existed in a few years because of COVID for our top young juniors. We're going to take them to the Olympic training center. And this is 
Olympic and Paralympic development. So we're going to be all together and bring in our nation's top 16, 17-year-old junior, older youth, younger junior athletes um, to Colorado and putting them up and showing them what it's like to be an athlete at that level. So for the right athlete, that's that's going to be hopefully worth going to a couple extra practices for. Um, we're also implementing this year an international camp for, for our older juniors to expose them to international race opportunity. Um, so we're going, we're, we're going to take them to Holton in the Netherlands and not Lucerne in Switzerland. And, and we're going to, you know, maybe we'll get some Swiss chocolate and <laughs> we'll see what life's like in the Netherlands and, you know, ride through, I don't know, I imagine tulip fields and stuff. Right. <laughs> but, um, but so so there's more to it than racing, but racing is the core of it um, and and exposing them to to things that, you know, otherwise they wouldn't have experienced. Um, so so I think just kind of creating those opportunities and and then helping them take the steps. I'd love to get an Olympian um, or notable triathlete at every development series race to talk to the kids, to engage with the parents, mm -hmm. to help them understand what the process is like and what are some things that made a difference to them on their path. Um, just to humanize performance. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think when we view performance as something that happens on TV or on YouTube, sometimes we think it's for other people. And what we need our athletes to see is it's not for other people. It could be for me. Like I, I could see that for myself. So, so, and, and so those are all steps towards doing it. Um, I'm open to suggestions. My email is joe.malloy at usatriathlon.org. If you have ideas, please send them to us. Um, we're, you know, we're trying to learn, we're trying to get better. And, and like an athlete, like we don't pretend to have it all figured out. You know, I think the way to be great is to to continue trying to be. And, you know, like if, if you think you're there, somebody's going to pass you in a day or two. So so you have to keep chipping away and have to keep building um, and improving and iterating. You must spend a lot of time with young triathletes then, like just in the scheme of things, like lots of time with 17, 19, 20 year olds. What is their like biggest issue concern about triathlon? Um, can you be more specific? Like, yeah, I just I'm, I don't talk to a lot. Or... Well, I don't talk to a lot of eighteen-year-old triathletes, and so I'm trying to think mm -hmm. about what it would be that is the thing stopping them from like sticking with triathlon. Is it like it's not mm -hmm. cool? Is it they want to go hang out with their friends? Like. Is it too expensive? Like, what is the, the limiter of the uh, issue here, you know? Yeah, so I, I would say more more triathlon dreams die of choking than starvation. Um, and, and what I mean by that is to an 18-year-old in the United States who is talented enough to pursue triathlon at a very high level, mm -hmm. they, odds are they have a couple of other opportunities that are awfully right. persuasive. So maybe they want to go to Stanford and they want to run there. And right. at Stanford, they get connected to a group that's building robots. And, and all of a sudden, yeah, triathlon's cool. It'd be great, but they're going to pay me all this money out of college to build robots for Amazon. So I'm going to do that. Right. Um, to another athlete, they're, you know, they're super talented at triathlon. And they think they want to go all out, but there's just not 
an educational opportunity project podiums there, but maybe maybe that's not for them. They want a they want a more traditional college experience, and um, and you know we're we're I think USAT as a whole is is getting better at uniting this pipeline and into something that you know I think at the end of the day the window of performance in elite triathlon is very small. And in elite para triathlon, it's, it's a little bit a longer runway. You, you, you know, you see athletes achieving great results into their forties. Um, but for elite triathlon, like it's effectively until your mid thirties for, for, you know, a short course, uh, long course, you can, you can race kind of maybe a decade longer at the elite at the tip of the spear. Um, we'll see how long Jan Ferdano keeps going and, um, he'll, he'll, he'll keep telling us how long you can do it. But, um, but I think, you know, we have to make our pathway towards elite progression in triathlon persuasive enough for somebody to, to yes, achieve great things when they're in their twenties and in their thirties, but also set them up for great things in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. They're going to live a long time because they took care of themselves. Nineties, a hundred, you know, so, so we have to find ways to, to develop more than just swim, bike, run. Right. 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 Um, and I think, I think as we do that, we, we hit more athletes who otherwise would have, would have gotten off course or taken another opportunity. And that's what I mean by the, the choking versus starvation. Um, that's what you're saying. Cause I was thinking <laughs> a lot of them could run or swim instead in college. And then that leads to other things, leads to other things. And, mm-hmm. and that's just yeah, sort of the reality. Athletically yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it sounds like there's lots in the works right now for youth and junior and development. Um, lots of part, you guys have lots of projects happening. I, I mean, <laughs> I would say yes, but, um, but honestly, I, I, I think, you know, something that I've seen from the outside, I think we fail when we try and do more than we have mm-hmm. capacity to do well. So, so really we, we, we actually are not doing a ton of things. We're just trying to do it really well. We have, um, this year it's, it's my first year in this role. Um, Steve Kelly has built an amazing junior program foundation and, um, he's created this concept of high performance teams and a junior development series, a youth development series. We actually changed it from youth elite, junior elite to junior development, youth development. Okay. Um, so just a shift in nomenclature, but we have, we have races across the country and we're trying to make these races incredible experiences for athletes and families. And we're trying to democratize access to these races. So it's not just selecting for kids whose parents can afford a trip there. Um, you know, I, I think I'm still running a series that my parents probably couldn't afford for me growing up. Um, they would have done it cause they would have found a way if it was that, you know, important to me. But, um, but there are other things to do and, you know, we could go to a swim meet weekend and have a great time. So, so triathlon just wasn't on the radar. Um, so, so we need to make it more accessible to, to athletes who, who maybe have the ability to perform, but, um, whose family might not have the financial means to get to these races. Like, how are we getting them? How are we touching them? Um, and, and bringing them in to, to show them what triathlon is and see if it could be a fit for them. Um, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We need a lot of help. I think the strength of triathlon is the community. Um, so if you're somebody out there listening to this and 
you know, names are coming to mind or ideas are coming to mind. Again, we need your help. Um, you know, we, we need your help to, to help set kids up with opportunities that could change their lives. Are you, and I think I know the answer to this, but given all this, are you kind of fully back in the triathlon community now? Are you, do you train still? Do you like casually work out? <laughs> do you just work out with the kids? Like, how does this work? Mm-hmm. So that's a great question. I, I haven't raced a triathlon in, in a while. Um, <laughs> and, and I will say my, my, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more comfortable jumping in running races. Okay. Um, I will do a triathlon again at some point. I'm not sure when, um, I, I do think it's, it's, you know, I want my girls to grow up seeing their dad continue to challenge himself, you know, physically, mentally, uh, professionally and um and and training is just a part of who i am it's the goal setting so like i'll give you an example my goals right now i have a half marathon coming up san diego half marathon uh at the end of march okay uh we'll see how that goes and figure out what the rest of the year looks like uh competition wise i have a weekly goal where i have to do at least 10 miles with my older daughter brooke um so that could (laughs) include hiking a baby jogger a walk um, but always at least 10 miles and, um, and then kind of continuing the habits that just like the, the, the discipline of, right. you know, eating healthy, living, you know, as best I can. <laughs> and, sure. I mean, yeah, I don't well, think anyone thinks you're a, mm-hmm. an unhealthy person, right? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no, it sounds like you have a lot going on. Like you said, trying to focus on things you can do well. I saw, I know Tommy Zafaris is on your team too. And I saw him post about the triathlon related things he's most looking forward to this year, which included like a triathlon wedding. So they were very broadly defined as triathlon related. So I want to ask you, what are the most, tri- the triathlon things you're most looking forward to this year? Oh my gosh. Uh, great question. Um, I would say it, it kind of like, getting back to being a little bit more normal. Like <laughs> I, I think, I think if we could have a year where I can see a race date and it actually happens like over and over again, I think that would be awesome. Right. And, um, and, you know, I, I was just at uh, Triton man, which is organized by UCSD's students and um, just being around like the infectious energy of a bunch of young people doing a race and, and the fact that they organize it themselves is awesome. I would like to be around more of that. Um, and, and I would like to something that maybe exists or maybe doesn't, I would say one triathlon I would come back and train for for sure would be wildflower. I don't know if anybody out there is interested in putting that on. Um, but, but, going for those experience races where, you know, the race is central to the experience, but it's not the entire experience. Um, I, I would, I think that would get me fired up. Well, well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And, uh, I'm very impressed with everything you guys are working on. So good luck with it all. Uh, Kelly. Well, thank, thanks for the opportunity to chat about it and, and for us to kind of spend some time, talking about the sport and um and maybe somebody out there is listening again one more pitch uh we we do need help um ideas and support you know 
in 2023, we'd love to take the series. Um, we have the national series. We'd love to build out like regional development opportunities. Um, you know, in the past, we've split up the country into like 12 regions. Um, I would love to bring that back. So, so we make that first step a little bit easier uh, mm -hmm. for young men and women. But, um, but. And people can email you at joe.malloy at usatriathlon.org. So. <laughs> yeah, instantly. That's, that's the address people are going to give for like spam promotions. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> well, thanks for chatting with us. Kelly, appreciate the opportunity. Thanks to Joe and Sid. And thanks to all of you for listening. Keep training and keep listening. <laughs>